When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome in to a special edition of Finding Freedom. Um, there's only two ways you could be hearing this right now. Either you are a member of our Lions of Liberty Pride, either on Patreon or on Locals. That's the case. You can hear it in the, the bonus uh, bonus feed there. Or if you are subscribed to the Finding Freedom podcast, so that is the solo feed, uh, it only has the Finding Freedom episodes, not the rest of the Lines of Liberty stuff. And uh, you can find that on any uh, podcasting uh, podcatcher out there. If you put in Finding Freedom and it doesn't come up, because there are a couple different, you know, not very good um, competing Finding Freedom podcasts that have that similar type name. Um, you can just put in Finding Freedom, John Odermatt. It'll come up. Subscribe. And, uh, and check it out. So normally on Tuesdays, what I do on my Finding Freedom feed is I do a what's called a, a rewind episode where I go back and I find something from my archives, an evergreen episode, a great interview, um, normally with someone um, who's been through the criminal justice system or has an incredible story to share. And I play those on Tuesday. And then Thursday in this feed, you get the same episode that you get in the, uh, the Lions of Liberty feed. This week, a little bit different. This week, you got this special episode where I'm going to be talking about what happened in Pennsylvania, what happened at the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania uh, convention in Williamsport, PA. And I was there. Uh, I was there on Saturday for pretty much the entire day. I wasn't able to go on Sunday, but I, I think I can summarize what happened there. The point is, Sunday was not nearly as eventful as um, what took place on on Saturday. And I first want to say before, you know, before I get into this too much. So I joined the Libertarian Party in 2018, I believe. And the reason I joined is because I was I became eventually the campaign manager manager <laughs> manager for uh I'm turning British or something. Uh, for Dale Kearns. Dale Kearns was running for Senate in uh, in Pennsylvania, and I uh, came across a you know some of his social media posts and uh, Facebook ads he was doing. Reached out to him to help. One thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was I was running his uh, his campaign. That was a cool experience that brought me into the party, and that's when I first met a lot of people in the Libertarian Party. Uh, at the same time, so 2018, around that same time. A guy by the name of Michael Heiss was starting something called the Mises Caucus. It might have been 2017 when he started it, but it, it was it was somewhere in that window. Uh, the people who were in charge of the Libertarian Party, um, I, I didn't really know them that well. And to be honest, uh, the ones that at least were in positions of leadership, I, I still don't really um, know them that well. I'm talking about at that time in, uh, in 2018. Uh, I really, you know, honestly... I didn't get much help. You'll think when you uh, you know join a party and you're helping with a candidate and uh, managing a campaign, you'll think like people from leadership would you know would reach out to you more, things like that. I really didn't really didn't happen a lot. The party at that time was almost did nothing. Um, it was very um, you know people could come in and run for office and you know, maybe some people would help with signatures, things like that. But it was extremely disjointed. So things changed 
really actually things started to change during that year. Um, actually, with speaking of signatures, signatures was what really was the first thing I saw the party start to do and coalesce around something and start to have, uh, have success. That was in 2018 for many of the, uh, the statewide and, you know, local, local candidates for Congress and state office and things like that. So, that was one of the first things I saw that the Pennsylvania and this will make sense why I'm going into this later. But anyway, so, and I'm not going to name, I don't want to name people's names and I don't want it to, to seem like I'm coming across um, saying bad things about people because honestly, my intention from my perspective, a, a lot of these people have been nothing but nice to me. I've had nothing but good relationships of course, I hear things to the contrary uh, on both sides, on all, all sides of uh, of of what happened in uh, at the uh, LPPA convention. But I honestly have not experienced any of that personally to me, so I don't feel like it's my spot to step in and trash people when I I just I just haven't seen that behavior personally. So. Um, to, yeah, to kind of continue setting the stage, so the, the, pretty much what happened was the, the party continued to grow. And, and really, the party, I think, hit the biggest growth spurt um, in the run-up to the 2020 election. Uh, it was kind of a combination of, of a couple different things. You had the Mises Caucus really um, starting to coalesce and really starting to grow nationwide. And that's when you started to really have a lot of those Mises Caucus uh, members coming into the coming into the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. But at the same time, um, to an equal extent or a greater extent, even I'm not even sure, you had a lot of people pulled into the party uh, by the Jorgensen Spike Cohen campaign, and a lot of people who were just disgusted um, by 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 looking at the you know the two options that were there on the table. Joe Biden, Donald Trump didn't want anything to do with either of them, and that pushed a lot of people into the, uh, the Libertarian Party. And we, so, what ends up happening, and I'm not going to get into the details, but obviously, some different factions uh, really became entrenched, and became entrenched to the point that you couldn't. E- I mean. Everything from email chains to any sort of in-person meeting conventions, of course, it would just devolve into into shouting matches between, um, you know, the Mises Caucus. But but more so, from my perspective, the aggressor was, you know, they've been called a, a lot of different names. Dave Smith calls them the Loser Brigade. Um, they have a, you know, they officially call themselves in some capacity the the Cathedral Caucus, and so so you have these two these two factions, the Mises Caucus and the Cathedral Caucus, and then you have people in the middle who are like normal libertarians who are just like, hey, I like Spike Cohen. What's what's going on here? Like, what, what, why is everybody so mad at each other? Like, I honestly met right after. I'll go into the details of what happened on Saturday, but right after everything went down, I saw um, a friend of mine who I used to work with um, at a company in Pittsburgh, and he's a he's a libertarian. He joined the party a year or two ago, and he was he was with his wife, and I was walking, I think back or two in it. I think I was walking to interview Spike from the convention hall to the hotel, and I bump into him, and he's like, "What what happened? I'm hearing all this stuff happen, and there's yelling, and there's screaming, and pushing, and shoving." And he's like, what, what's what's going on? Why why are these people so angry with you, with each other? Like, man, I need. I mean, I, you're gonna. I'm gonna sit down with you for for like an hour to, to explain everything that's going on here because it's a lot of it is just it's crazy. It's it's just absolute craziness. And I haven't been like I thank God I haven't been you know involved in this day to day. You know, seeing the uh, seeing the lunacy of what things have devolved into, but. Anyway, so you have these two two sides, hate each other, calling each other names. You know, when you're at a convention, you know, someone from the one side would stand up and get booed and get screamed at and called, you know, cursed at and called names. Um, that's what happened last year at the uh, the LPPA convention that was in Pittsburgh. 
it was more of a closer to an even amount of people from both sides. You still had probably you still had a bunch of people in the middle who were like, "What's happening here?" But I think what has happened in the years since then is the toxicity of the situation has radicalized everyone. So you had good people in the middle who really, they just maybe wanted to run for office or they wanted to help get libertarians elected or they wanted to spread the message of liberty. And just because of this toxic situation, they were just kind of radicalized one one way or the other. And that, I mean, that's not good for anything. So that kind of set the stage for what we walked into on Saturday. And I mean, I should have said this up front, but I'll say it now. Um, I am a member of the Mises Caucus. Um, I will do my best to, to tell this in the most neutral way possible, but knowing that obviously I'm bringing biases to the table. So, but, but keep in mind also that I do have friends and I will continue um, to, to have these friends that are on the other side, per se, that are on this. Um, now there's, they founded a, uh, a libertarian defense fund. Um, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate people, you know, j- j- just to hate them. I, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That That's, that's not who I am. Um, I base people on, you know, I base people on how they treat other people. And in some cases I've seen some very poor things and, but in most cases, Maybe people slip up, get caught up in the moment. And I think that's a lot of what happened um, at the Libertarian uh, Convention on Saturday. So let's get to it. I've been been rambling for 11 minutes. I've been delaying the inevitable. Let's talk about what happened. So actually, you know what? Let me say one more thing. Before we get into talk about what happened, so... There's a, there was or still is, I guess, a candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, Joe Soloski. Joe is one of these guys who is one of the first people I met when I came into the party in 2018. Seems like a nice enough, normal guy. He's run for a bunch of different libertarian offices. Um, he uh, seems to care about liberty. There's a lot of areas where I disagree with Joe, um, as he was for the past you know 15 or so months campaigning to be governor of Pennsylvania. Um, I, I, maybe I missed it, but I didn't see him speak out against vaccine mandates or mask mandates or children being, uh, you know, mandatorily masks in schools. I didn't see any videos. I didn't see any tweets. I didn't see any Facebook statuses. Maybe I missed them. But if I was running for governor, I would have had something new about that, about the COVID regime, at least once a week, if not more. So honestly, I wasn't too excited about the perspective of uh, of Joe being the governor. And I'll tell you what happened once we get to that point in the convention. So run up to the convention. Uh, and this is, I mean, this has been all over, you know, the Facebook um, interwebs over the past day post-convention. But Joe posts a picture of himself holding an uh, AR-15 and he says, just getting ready for this weekend's LPPA convention. Posted this a few days before the convention. And then if you go down into the comments, um, he posted another picture of himself standing by a window, looking out a window, holding what looks like a nine millimeter. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to tell. looks like a nine millimeter. And uh, says, says uh, the caption above says, seeing the takeover buses arriving, laughing. You know, I, I'll joke about almost anything. Like I'll joke about all kinds of stuff, probably things I shouldn't joke about. But when it comes to anything with guns, number one, you don't joke about a gun. You don't joke about shooting someone. You don't do that. Do not do that. You don't joke about drinking beer and shooting guns. You don't joke joke about um, you, you just don't. Guns are it doesn't get much more serious than guns. Ever anytime you're around a gun, assume it's loaded, even if someone just checked it right before you said it's not loaded, as soon as they hand it to you, you check that it's loaded. So this posing with a gun 
it's okay to some extent, but posing with a gun, looking out a window, making a joke. I, I agree. It's a joke. He's, he's joking. I don't think Joe's going to shoot anybody. I mean, I'm not making that ac- accusation, but it's not in good taste at all. And there's some unstable people um, in this Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania who might see this and say, think he's calling for something else, think he's calling for violence. And that's, that's the scary part. I don't think Joe would be violent. I'm not saying that. So another thing in this same thread, so this is the thread underneath uh, the picture that Joe posted. And, well, I mean, I, I commented, he was standing in front of the, the largest tree I've ever seen, ever seen. And my comment is, how big is that tree? My God. And we had some couple laughs about that. I didn't notice at the time, but someone brought it up to me this weekend, and actually it was asked to, to Joe on stage um, when he was uh, giving his uh, governor's speech and uh, Q&A. Nicholas Sarwark says, good trigger discipline. Don't shoot until you see the whites of their hoods. Nick obviously insinuating that there's KKK members in the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Um, do I think Nick believes that? No. Um, do I think Nick believes that there are racists in the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania? I don't, I don't know what evidence he would have for that. I don't know why he would believe that. Uh, Joe was asked on stage if he believed that, and he said no. But he laughed at this comment, and it's just, it's just not in good taste. And, you know, they'll push back and say, oh, sorry we hurt your feelings, Snowflake. You don't joke about shooting people, for the love of God. Come on. Come on. What, what are we doing here? What are we doing? So, I, I mean, I would like to see an apology uh, from Mr. Solosky uh, and from uh, from Mr. Sarwark. That's, that's just not acceptable behavior, and that's not anything that I, I would hope they wouldn't condone um, someone in the Mises caucus doing the same thing, um, joking about, about them being shot. I would hope that they would be against against that type of behavior. Maybe they won't be. Maybe they don't care. So I just had to kind of set, set this. I had to set the stage. Things are weird going into this. Things are very much on edge. So I show up. I drive up Saturday morning. And for some reason, I, I forgot where Williamsport was. I never actually been to what I had been to Williamsport when I was a kid, but I don't remember. I mean, that was years ago for a, a baseball tournament, but I hadn't been back there since then. And I thought it was like in a different relation to where state college was, where it was actually like either the same distance or maybe even a little closer than state college. I was wrong. I'm an idiot. It's actually an hour past state college. So I made this decision on the assumption that it was closer than it was that I was going to drive up the morning of the convention. So I had to wake up at like 4.30 in the morning uh, to make it there in time to get credentialed. So that's what I did, you know, and I drove up, loaded up on coffee, listened to a bunch of podcasts, had an enjoyable ride. It wasn't that bad. Um, but I was pretty tired as the day went on and I kind of regretted it um, towards the end of the day. But so I get there and, you know, walk in, start seeing people saying hello, just kind of, you know, decompressing a little bit. Things are going slow. The, the, uh, the actual location where they had it was a really, really cool venue. Uh, it was called like the community arts center. I think it's owned by one of the local colleges there, but it was uh, stadium seating and very cool theater. It would have been a real cool place, real cool place to see a, uh, a music show. Um, there's a theater real similar to it in, uh, in Pittsburgh down by the waterfront that, that I've been to had a very similar vibe and, uh, yeah, so if you're ever in Williamsport and there's a music show at the Community Arts Center, I would recommend recommend going to it. Uh, but the Libertarian Convention, the way it was set up, um, they needed someplace that big because there were, I th- I'm totally blanking on the number now. I think it was, yeah, it was like 340 some people, maybe it's 20 some people that uh, th- that showed up from in-state and out-of-state uh, to vote in the in the Libertarian uh, convention. And just so people who don't know the, the way that works or the way it did work in Pennsylvania is as long as you're a member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, you can be the way it was written. You could be out of state 
and be a member of the, a voting member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, unless so, if you're in Pennsylvania, you had to be a registered Libertarian as well. So the way they they skirted that um, is the only way that you could you could be a member out of state if your ability to be an in-state registered libertarian was prohibited by law. And it's a crazy thing. It's like, how does that happen? Why would anybody, you know, make that, uh, you know, put that in the bylaws? And actually, I didn't know this, but later in the convention, Ken Krawchuk um, stands up and says he apologizes because it was him who uh, proposed this and supported it. Uh, becoming a bylaw in like the 90s when his campaign manager, I believe he said, was from England. And uh, he wanted his campaign manager to be able to be a member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. And that's what led to this situation. So anyway, so what you had was, I have no idea what the split was in state, out of state, but out of the total 300 plus people, it was easily 80% Mises caucus people. Just overwhelming everywhere. Um, I could tell as soon as I walked into the place, and start and then started talking to some people. Um, after you know, sitting around you know for a little while, just kind of getting an update on Twitter, you know, getting bored, and I hadn't really you know figured out everyone who was there yet to uh, to hang out with and talk to. I'm like, you know, I'm going to run down the street get some coffee. So I, I run down get some coffee, and I bump into uh, my friend Jeff Douglas who I almost didn't recognize because the guy has, has lost like insane amount of weight. Um, good for you, Jeff. And he's, he's there and he's like, John, let me tell you, we're just going to railroad him. It's, uh, you know, it's like 80% Mises. We can just, you know, just push anything we want through. And I'm like, wow, this will be interesting to watch because I know that that 20% is not just going to, I mean, they're not just going to cheer that and let it happen. So what ends up happening, I go back to the place, they start, you know, start doing business, they do the credentialing report, all that good stuff. And I'm trying to remember what happened first. So I I think, well, there was a lot of discrepancy back and forth. There were motions to try to remove um, the out-of-state individuals so they were not able to vote, to take away their ability to vote. Um, that, that was, that was knocked down. I think like, it seemed like several different times in several different ways. Um, then there was a motion brought to remove the chair and the story about the chair. This is interesting. The previous chair of the Libertarian party of Pennsylvania, um, Jennifer Moore, she, I was told just sent out an email. I didn't see the email. I, um, but I was told she sent out an email that she didn't want to deal with this. She wasn't going to chair the convention and she'll be getting a massage when everyone would be arguing. So she just didn't show up. So the way Pennsylvania is set up is there's not one vice chair. There's three vice chairs. There's Eastern, Central, and Western. And I forget how they figured out which one was going to chair the convention. Uh, but they had the one guy who I really don't, really don't know well chairing the convention. And then um, the Western vice chair, Sam Robb, who's, who's a great guy, um, friend of mine, he's a local, you know, same from my same county, from my local um, libertarian chapter. Um, he's, he's obviously helping out as well up there. The other, the Eastern vice chair, who I, I honestly don't know him that well. I know there's you know, a lot of bad blood back and forth between, uh, between him and the Mises caucus. Uh, Reinhardt is his, uh, is his last name. Um, I honestly don't think I've ever, ever met him face to face. but he had resigned prior to the convention. So he was just waiting around for the body to accept his re- resignation. So, um, that's one of the things that, that's, that's happens that happens during this beginning part of the convention is he resigns and, you know, the, the 80% Mises part of the crowd, everyone goes crazy and starts, starts cheering and things just start to sort of devolve from there. So the plan that Mises had was to replace um, the chair with, uh, with Ken Krawchuk. Uh, Ken Krawchuk, who, like I said, you know, he's been in the party for a long time. He's run for governor like 100 times. Um, he's, he's been chair of the Libertarian Party. Um, Ken, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Ken. Um, he, can, 
you know, he, he can have his, his way of, you know, getting on people's nerves. I don't think that's any secret. And, uh, he can say some things that rub people the wrong way. I don't think that's any secret, but he says that he's not a, a Mises caucus person. He just wanted to run a smooth convention. So this is where stuff gets crazy. So that is brought to the floor as a motion. And, you know, there is discussion around it, but then it reaches a point where there's no more discussion. And the acting chair at that point, Sam Robb, now I, I'm hearing that it was very hard to to hear and see when you're on stage, see out in the crowd what was going on. And my understanding, what I've heard um, from other people from Sam, is that Sam just wanted to make sure that everybody could be heard. Um, I think it got misinterpreted by the Mises Caucus members that he was stalling. Maybe he was stalling. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a mind reader. It really doesn't matter. But what happens next is, uh, is Mitchell. Um, Mitchell, who is a, uh, he's a Lions Liberty Pride member. He's, he's been a longtime supporter and, uh, he's actually on, on oxygen. He, he has his oxygen tank with him. He's, he's, uh, recovering from, I, I believe from COVID. If, if I'm, if, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, um, sorry if I'm wrong, Mitchell. But he comes up and he he demands, you know, we, we need to vote on this. And I think someone takes the mic from him. He takes the mic back and there's a bit of a scuffle um, between the mic. And it, somewhere in this whole thing, someone grabs the mic. It might have been Michael Heist just said, stand, you know, if, if you're in, in favor of this motion to to replace the chair. And uh, at that point, I mean, you got. 80% of the room standing up. It's, I mean, it's obvious to anybody. I mean, just looking around to see that the Mises caucus can do whatever they want during, during the convention because they have the numbers. So what happens is I'm not sure exactly how it happened. I'm sure, you know, if you talk to Michael Heist, or you talk to other people that were involved, but a bit of a, uh, you know, chest bumping and, and pushing and shoving breaks out in the front no punches were thrown. I mean, I don't think anything got, got to that level, but things escalated very quickly. And, you know, like an idiot myself, my natural instinct takes over and I jump up. I start to go over the seat in front of me. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. That would be stupid. <laughs> Why would I run up there? That'd be very dumb. So I sit back down. I'm like, okay, let's just wait for this to, uh, to blow over. So they get things sorted out. They have the vote. Um, the previous chairs removed and then, uh, Ken Krawcheck takes over. And at, at that point, um, things start to get, get crazier. Um, there's people who, you know, as the day would go on, there would be, you know, different members of the, uh, cathedral caucus, I, I guess you want to call it, um, would, would come up and, you know, say how this has been a takeover. Uh, you know, this isn't libertarian party anymore. This is something else. And, uh, you know, they'll make this, make this big thing. And then they'll put the mic down and they'll walk out and everybody would cheer. And honestly, like, I, I, I feel bad. I honestly do feel bad for the situation that the people are in here. The ones who were either quitting the party or who were just extremely upset because, I mean, this is very, I mean, this, this is one of the most important things I think to take away from this. And I talked about this last year. And I should have talked about this earlier. Um, what you have are a lot of people who have invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. They've spent time away from their family. They put in all this time into the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm not saying this in a positive or negative way. I'm just saying this in it's the reality. Um, it became a very big part of their identity. And anybody who has lost a job or had a business go under or had a relationship go bad. Um, when you lose a significant part of your identity, it is ugly. It can get very ugly and it's not easy to deal with, uh, especially when it's something that feels totally out of your control, especially when it's something, when you feel that you've been doing everything the right way. And when you feel that um, it's not, um, it's not just, it's not right when you feel that way. And I, I, I think this is exactly what happened. Of course, you got people on this cathedral side who honestly do not seem 
like good people at all. I don't think they have the best interests of the party at heart. But there's a whole wide group of people in the middle who I think were kind of pushed that way um, and were kind of radicalized by this anti-Mises caucus message, which I feel is is extremely misunderstood. You know, the, the, the previous regime for the LPPA, they had a lot of success with getting libertarians elected. They had a lot of success with running libertarians unopposed and, and getting them and getting them elected to, you know, auditors and, um, you know, di- different, you know, different local uh, councilman seats, th- things like that. And that that's good. I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And when I, I actually interviewed Spike Cohen um, in the middle of the day on Saturday, and that's one of the things that, that Spike and I talked about, which I think feel like Spike has a really um, kind of taking that that next step um, from, you know, that growing libertar- Libertarian Party that way and getting a little bit of street cred on how you turn that into actual activism and, uh, and getting support in your local community, not just from Libertarians, but from GOP and, and Democrats as well, or people who are just unaffiliated or independents. And you can hear about that if you uh, if you tune in my interview on Thursday with uh, with Spike Cohen. But to get back to what happened, I think that's what happened. That that was stripped away from these individuals. And I, I feel bad about that. And it didn't have to happen this way. And I, I think there's fault, honestly, on, on both sides for how this went down. I've said this from the beginning. I think calling it a takeover was, was not the best idea. Um, I understand why it was done. It was done as a response to, I mean, you had this very um, mean <laughs> and angry, um, you know, front on the other side, you know, calling the Mises caucus names and calling them racist and calling them this and calling them that, um, attacking Ron Paul, attacking Tom Woods, attacking Dave Smith. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So you had you had all this incredible amount of pushback. Of course, it's going to motivate the Mises Caucus to say, "Well, guess what? You know, we're going to try to take you over. We're going to, you know, we're going to try to take control. We're going to try to take power." And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's what this was about: power. Who has power over the party? Now you can argue, does it even really matter who has the power of a Libertarian Party uh, state affiliate? Um, I would say it depends. It depends how you use that power. Most of the time in the past, I would say it doesn't matter. The Libertarian Party pre-2018 and Libertarian Party in Pennsylvania pre-2018, I would say it probably didn't matter who was in control. It didn't matter at all because they weren't doing really anything. But, I mean, I will give full credit to people who worked their asses off and at least, I mean, you can debate the strategy if it's good or bad, if you want to tweak it or change it. Um, who people who worked their asses off put in the time to elect it was like what 180 libertarians or maybe 200 libertarians in uh 20 what year is it in 2021 so will that strategy change with the Mises caucus maybe it might change some you know and I'm sure if it does I'm sure if the number of elected go down that's gonna be the first area that they push back and say well you just lost a hundred elected libertarians what what happened is everything falling apart so but what is the strategy? Maybe maybe you're pushing it in another area because electing that many libertarians is not cheap. You got to send out mass mailers. You got to find the people to run. All these different things. It doesn't doesn't just happen. It's not it's not as easy as uh, as it sounds with identifying the seats and putting people in those seats who actually want to do the job. It's actually a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of resources. Um, but but I give credit. They had a goal and they accomplished that goal, and, and that deserves credit. You can argue with the strategy which I have argued with the strategy in the past. And uh, people obviously thought that, you know, something different was needed. Uh, The Mises Caucus, of course, the biggest thing that they are coming with, I shouldn't say the biggest, but one of the largest areas where they disagreed was around messaging. And I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. The messaging of the Libertarian Party has been horrible at a state level, at a national level. um, There's a couple State affiliates who are okay, but for the most part, awful, completely awful. I mean, you had the the LP, the uh, Libertarian Party National Twitter account. Um, they're they're a week late on everything. 
They were months late on saying anything about COVID lockdowns, about mask mandates, vax mandates. They barely said anything. This should be a, a weekly or, or, or more just hammering home um, what's happening and uh, you know, doing your best to get the people, get the small businesses who've been affected by these lockdowns, by these mandates, get them into your circle, you know, get them on your side. We need people on our side like that who've who've gone through those struggles, um, who we you know have that commonality, that that common uh, that common hate for the state, that common hate for not necessarily even just the state, but for for a state that will shut down a small business and then will turn to a pharmaceutical company and shove trillions of dollars worth of profits into these massive pharmaceutical companies and then turn around. And use the use the corporate press, use the corporate media to vilify anybody who didn't go along with it. Anyway, I'm <laughs> I'm off on a rant now. I don't know how that happened. Jeez. So, getting back to what happened on Saturday. Um, so Ken Krawcheck takes over, and things just start running smoothly. Um, the Mises Caucus ends up getting their entire slate. You know, you know, of uh, party officers elected, um, they get all of all of their delegates elected. The full slate, right before the end of the day, which is kind of crazy how it went down. The the people who the the venue was about to kick us out is like just like minutes left to get this done, and they somehow get to vote for the full slate, and it gets approved. It was it was pretty insane, actually. That that part of it. Um, and then on Sunday, I, I didn't go back. But uh, I had I had to get home. Oh, the other thing I did want to talk about, and this does also go into Sunday as well, so I'll kind of use this as a as a bridge. But so th- the governor election, we were talking about Joe Joe Solosky. So Joe Solosky was running for governor uh, or the, for the nomination for governor, Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and then Daryl Brooks was another guy, and I never heard of Daryl Brooks before. I didn't know anything about him. Never. I've never heard anybody mention him. So I was kind of surprised to see his his name up there. Michael Heiss did did nominate him. Um unfortunately, I don't think Michael did uh much investigating into uh into Daryl either, which is a very big learning experience, as we're gonna find out here. Um what ends up happening, they're up on stage, they they give their talks. Honestly, Daryl comes off sounding a little bit like a generic um Republican, um, sounding like a, a bit of a Trumper. To, to be honest, uh, which in some respects, depending, you know, as long as he's, you know, going anti-COVID regime, if he was doing that more so, which, which he was to a certain degree, that, I mean, that's okay. But, um, it, it still, it, it wasn't, wasn't inspiring. I'm like, well, I'd like to find somebody else here. Um, and then, and then it comes out that when he was like 17 years old, he was convicted of exposing himself. Um, to two young girls, and he did time in prison for it. Now, his story is that he was working to uh, expose drug dealers in the neighborhood um, through political activism, and uh, through that, that, they went after him. Very well might be true. He wrote a book about it. You know, as somebody who uh, I very much am sympathetic to uh, people who have been convicted falsely, um, I, I, I have no idea. But I will say this, especially if you are a new party or a new caucus coming into a party, a new, um, even just even just a new person coming into a role um, with a political party, you better not nominate a sex offender as your as your uh, as your candidate for governor. Can't even get the words out because it's so mind blowing it happened. You can't do that. I don't care if you have freaking a million people signing off saying this guy's innocent. It's just a perception. And I mean, why someone like that wants to be governor after, I mean, why would you want that out there in the press all the time? People asking you about it. I, I, I just don't understand that aspect of it. But, so so that happened and uh 
once people realized, oh, wait a minute, this is not, we cannot nominate this guy. Um, they tabled it to the next day. And then he actually in the, at the hotel in the Mises caucus room, um, when I was there, he actually addressed the crowd and I got to ask him a few questions. And I mean, my biggest thing was, man, I mean, if you have this conviction, false or not, and you're coming into a party for their nomination, how is it not the first thing that you say? Like, you're losing all credibility, all trust, if you're not saying that first. Like, that should be your starting point. This is how I was screwed over. This is what happened. This is why I'm, you know, so in favor of, uh, you know, police reform. Or da, da, da. Take take wherever it's going to. But, and he said that he gave, you know, Michael Heiss's book. And but you can't just give someone a book and just expect them to read it and know everything about you. How many people give me books? How many people give me books want me to interview them for this podcast? A lot. You know how many books, those, those books I've read? Maybe 10%. I have time to read all these books, man. Can't be reading books. I got other stuff to do. So it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, thankfully on Sunday, uh, well, I guess there was another way that they were able to get him out of the race. You have to live in the state of PA for seven years to run for governor. So he had, he was in New Jersey previously. He didn't qualify. So that, that's what happened there. And then uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Soloski lost to Noda for, uh, for governor. So that, I believe, is tabled until next weekend. They're in some sort of uh, follow-up uh, meeting to nominate, uh, nominate governor. So that's a crazy weekend in, I mean, in a lot of different ways. And I'm very happy that I went. You know, it's been no secret that I've kind of been – waffling back and forth on really, you know, what is the best way, where's the best place for me to put my energy, you know, in order to push back against the COVID regime, in order to push back against corporate press, in order to, you know, get more like-minded libertarians to want to take ownership of their life and to really to want to find freedom in their life and help others to find freedom. And kind of what I was reminded of, this weekend, number one, um, hanging out with uh, you know all the people in the Mises Caucus and getting to see a lot of old friends and you know, having a lot of people buy me drinks, which I always appreciate when people buy me drinks. <laughs> always have, always will. Thank you, everyone, for buying me drinks and shots. It's uh, it's it's always it's always good. Um, got me got me pretty pretty toasted on uh, on Saturday night, but uh, it was it was a fun time. So, I mean, it was just fun hanging out with everybody. And it had been a long time since I'd been to a convention like that, you know, where I'm out of town, where I can really let loose and hang out. And it really reminded me that, you know, these are my people, you know, um, the people in the Libertarian Party, the people in, in the Mises Caucus, some of the people outside of the Mises Caucus, you know, my friends in my, my local uh, local Allegheny County Libertarian Party. Um, we might not agree on everything, but you know these are my friends. These are my people, so uh, I I want to support them, and I will continue to support uh, the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus. It doesn't mean I will agree with everything that they do, and you know I do, you know, take issue really with um, some of the, um, really I, I would say reasons that the people say that they're in libertarian party or, or, or the, you know, to justify why using this as a vehicle. Um, I think I've kind of evolved on that. You know, there, you're, of course you're here, Dave Smith say, who, I mean, the Dave and Dave's great. I got to, got to spend some time with Dave on, uh, on Saturday. He was there. He spoke Friday night with Tom Woods. I missed it, unfortunately, but he hung around on, on Saturday and, uh, we attempted to get lunch with with a uh, large group of people and uh, did not get served lunch, and then uh, just got some pizzas. And I don't even think I ate. I think I had to run off to interview Spike. I'm not even sure I ate any pizza. Um, maybe that's why I got so drunk that night. Forgot to eat pizza. Hmm. Possible. Anyway, but so Dave is always famous for saying, "Spread the message. Spread the message of liberty," and. Yeah, I mean, of course, you want to tell other people about the message of liberty. That's that's a part of it. But I think like where I've evolved to is it's spreading the message. And then what is that next step? What is that action 
And it's not just action like within a political party. It's not just action where you run for office or you go for this position or you do this or that. It's an action to take ownership of your own personal liberty and to find freedom in your own life. And you're in a community with other like-minded individuals. And to help others to uh, learn from your experiences and ask you questions and help them to get to that same point in their life um, where they can wield more influence, where they can have more success. So it's, it's a great network of people. And I very much want to be a part of it for, for a long time. And I think as time continues on, um, as we get into these crazy upcoming years and when we, uh, if you listen to, to Mark's show yesterday, the, the coming C- CBDC slavery, we're going to need these networks of people. We're going to need friends. We're going to need like-minded friends who think the way we do, who have a lot of the same interests. So we can build some parallel networks to skate around um, this uh, this tyrannical system that is eventually coming. Is it this year? I don't know. Is it a year from now, two years, 10 years? It's probably closer to two than 10. So building out this community is is very important to me now, and it will, will continue to be. And I mean, that's not to say that I don't value people running for office. I just think when you're making a time investment, um, you've got to have a metric to measure success and you've got to have a metric to measure what the, you, you, to determine what the next step is. And that's another thing I got into with my conversation with Spike. Um, what are these actions that you can put in place when you have somebody new who comes into the liberty movement or libertarian party that um, you can give them X, Y, and Z to do that you know are going to show tangible results that are going to give them a place to put resources where they can see those resources, be it financial or um, you know, or just personal, their, their own time, where they can see those resources actually accomplish something. The problem for the longest time with Libertarian Party and what burned me out in 2018 and burned me out again this year um, is just not seeing a return on investment. I mean, when you look at anything in life, when you look at either if it's a job, if it's a business, if it's a relationship, um, anything like that, if it's a political party, if you aren't making progress, if you aren't moving forward, if you are just standing still, you're going to drive yourself nuts. You're going to get anxiety. You're going to get depressed about things. You're going to feel defeated. So you need it needs to be built in a way where there is clear progress. And the old, the old party, the old LPPA, the, the leadership there, they had a system where, where they had progress, which I give them tremendous credit for that. And they could measure that progress. Um, I'm not saying that the Mises Caucus needs to do the same thing. I'm not saying that at all. But there needs to be a similar system where you can look at it and make it repeatable. And I, I think that's, that's going to be key. That's going to be key to see what, um, you know, what my friends, what, what my, uh, you know, like-minded, uh, liberty movement, Ron Paul, uh, libertarians, what they can do with this, uh, with this party. Because, you know, after taking Pennsylvania and the other states that the Mises caucus has taken, you know, Nicholas Sawark said years ago, he said the party belongs to those who showed up. Well, now it is this, uh, the Mises caucus who has showed up. And they're going to take the party in Reno and they're going to have the party to nominate who they want to for president in, uh, in 2024. So it's going to be cool to watch. It's going to be really cool to watch it happen. Um, I will, I mean, I will stay involved and I will try to think of ways, um, to not only use the libertarian party, uh, to further liberty in the political sphere, but also in the lives of people participating, because that's the most important thing right now. That's the most important thing, short-term, long-term, um, forever. There's only so much that pushing back against government and changing government policy can do. Um, making changes in your own personal life, um, they're going to affect your family and the people closest to you. Uh, that's, that's the most important thing.
So I did not plan on talking for 50 minutes. I planned on talking for about 15, but but here we are. Um, I apologize if I got you know a little rambly in the middle there. I forgot off off uh, off kilter. I went in with basically no notes as per usual, just going off memory. And it is late on uh, on Monday night, so I'll be pushing this out very soon here within the next couple hours. So let me know what you think, and please, um, if somebody forwarded this to you, that's how you found it. Please go back and uh, subscribe to the Finding Freedom podcast. I really would appreciate it. I'm trying to grow this feed up, and I'll just say the reason we're doing this, the reason we split out each of our shows into into a solo feed, as well as having our Lines of Liberty Network feed, which you should you should subscribe to that too, because then you get Mark and Brian's show as well, and uh, you should really subscribe to both, hundred percent. But the reason we broke this out. Um, is to be able to to uh, you know go after and target you know segments of uh, the population demographics that more relate to our specific podcast. And what I'm doing on Finding Freedom is different than what Brian is doing on Electric Liberty Land. It's different than what Mark is doing on uh, on his show, our flagship program. So it's all different. I mean, we're all still together in the lines of liberty. Uh, pushing forward um, for freedom. But at the end of the day, it's about growing and reaching more people, reaching more ears. And uh, for me, it's about helping people to find freedom. So I thank you. And uh, I will say this, my famous parting words. (laughs) Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning.